0: Where I, can, where I can put my clothes uh, and uh, and then the room is big enough
1: we can remove everything to have a nice comfortable bed uh, not just for me, for Shamin as well if and when the time comes when we cannot climb up the stairs
2: when uh, when your knees are not cooperating anymore
1: that's right, yeah, I hope they never come I hope it never comes to that but you never know. You're going to be prepared for it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Well,
2: mom had knee surgery, so maybe you guys can get some knee surgery.
1: Well, not yet. Not yet. Uh, knees are so far so good. Good. Good to hear. Oh. Good. Good to hear. Have you already started this podcast or?
2: Uh, maybe I don't know. We'll see when it comes time to to edit.
1: Oh, you edited afterwards, do you? Yeah.
2: All right. then. Yeah. So I, I I will edit it. Um, I'm excited to do this. Thank you so much.
1: No, no, you're welcome. Uh, I mean, tells me that uh, we get paid fees for this, so I'm really excited as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've sent him the fees for all of you, Thank so you. he'll be distributing it.
0: <laughs>
1: all right. <laughs> I, I normally charge uh, 150 pounds an hour, so, so just bear that in mind. Oh that's that's so much less than Aminata. So that's that's perfect. So oh, wow. that's
2: that's perfect. That's that's within my budget. <laughs> so 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 no problem. No problem there. Um okay, so let's let's start with uh you introducing yourself. Your name where you were born and when you were born?
1: Okay, my name is Tajdin Jaffer Sharagania, and I was born in a small town called Ambale in Uganda in East Africa, where I was better known as Taju Jaffer Kasam. Um and i was born on the seventh of june nineteen forty three Thank you so much
2: Tajuada uh, for joining me today that's that sounded so formal <laughs> um no honestly thank thank you for doing this uh i I told uh, Aminada that uh my plan now is to interview all of you. And to create a new website to put all of these interviews up there, so that uh, your children, your great-grandchildren, and their children uh, will be able to, if they're interested, to learn about uh, to learn about the family.
0: That'd be fantastic.
2: Yeah, so it'll be really interesting. Um. Tell me about uh, growing up in, in uh, is it Bali or Mabale? How do you pronounce it properly?
1: You know, if, when we were in Uganda, we used to pronounce differently. And after coming to England, like, for example, my surname in Mabale would have been Charania. But after coming to England, so that people can spell it better, it became Charania instead of Charania. And similarly for Mabale, um, I think the English pronunciation is probably Mbale, Mbale, M and B together. Uh, similarly, after coming here from instead of Taju, I became Taj to the English people. So it was Taj Charanya instead of Taju Charanya. So yeah, it's Mabale. Uh, so what do you want to know about my growing up there? Yeah, tell me about the town. What kind of a place was it? I think it was. Uh, it was a beautiful town uh, with a mountain in the background called Mount Kokojeru, which had a waterfall coming down, uh, which you could see with your naked eyes from the town, although it was a few miles away. And uh, as kids, we used to walk and go up the mountain and up to the fall, um, and. Uh, But recently, having visited Uganda, um, the waterfall is almost not visible because I think they've diverted the water for irrigation. Um, So unfortunately, the waterfall appears to have almost sort of disappeared, unless you go close by. So it was a beautiful town. Um, uh, To give you an idea of how small or how large it was, I would say if I tell you that there was Ismaili population of about 800, if my recollection is correct. Um, And we had our own Jamaat Khanna there, but it was the best. So this Ambali was the third largest town in Uganda. Uganda being at the time, one of the three countries in East Africa, which is Uganda, Kenya and Tanzania. before it became Tanzania, it was Tanganyika and Zanzibar was separate. And then after the Sultan of Zanzibar was overthrown, and then when Tanzania became independent, uh, Tanganyika became independent. And then Tanganyika and Zanzibar became one as Tanzania. Uh, so, you know, Uganda was is the smallest of the three countries. Um, but the most fertile of the three countries with the best tropical weather you can imagine, because even the equator passes through Uganda. And uh, so Uganda for schooling, it was the best school in East Africa. Um, So we were very fortunate in that respect. When you consider that Mambale was the third largest town in Uganda, Uh, the largest being Kampala, followed by Jinja, and then Mbale. And a lot of uh, boys, especially our Ismaili boys, uh, even from other communities, would come from the neighboring villages uh, to come and stay in Mbale for studies. Um, And uh, uh, just to tell you how good the education was and the system of education, was what like in England what they would call grammar school education uh, where uh, they would encourage you uh, in what you're good at um and uh the school i went to the unfortunately the setup at the time the colonial times was such that the Europeans had their own schools and they lived in the outskirts of the town with the large gardens and huge houses and we used to call them European towns Um, and then all the Asians would live uh, in the town with the houses also in the town and uh, the poor Africans would be living in the jungles in their huts and small houses Uh, and uh, so Asians had their own schools And I don't know, for some reason, we just accepted that as a way of life. Everyone seemed to without even thinking about how fair or unfair it was. And so I remember it wasn't until I was doing my, what we call in England A-levels, which are the last two years of schooling before you go to university, that I started having Africans in our schools. and uh, the, some of the guys used to walk for five miles from the villages, from the woods to come to school and walk back five miles and have to walk under the paraffin light for studies and so on. That's when uh, I think the realization sunk in that something was not right. Um, the schools were mostly, I uh, was the school I went to were uh, There were all Asian teachers and um, a couple of uh, English teachers uh, for English and uh, domestic science. I seem to remember the lady teacher for domestic science and an English teacher for English. Um, Other than most, all the teachers were from India, a lot from, a lot of Bengali, extremely, extremely Clever teachers, including our headmaster. So yeah, the system of education was brilliant. Um, you may already have been told during uh, your know, you other podcast with my brothers, but uh, I might I'm repeating. I'm sorry, uh, because these things to me are quite significant. As we were growing up, first of all, we never had any, any electricity. No, nah, uh, we didn't have any drainage system for effluent uh, um, and we didn't have a telephone so i remember those distinctly and uh, so for toilet is like uh, all in the all on all in a raised floor you know which collected everything in a bucket which was collected at night by uh some African guy with a bullock cart and uh, with a flap in the back wall of the building, where you would just lift the flap, pick the bucket, and empty it in a barrel, which was being uh, dragged by some bullocks. So that happened in the evening, at night, so nobody was wiser. So you can imagine all the houses were like that with a sort of a rod, not necessarily made of rod between the backs of the houses, so the guy can come and, and collect that. Um, was this was this just
2: uh, in town? Like, would the Europeans have would the Europeans have running water and electricity, or
1: was yeah, this I, in the
2: forties where there was none of this?
1: No, I think I think Europeans had everything. Uh, Is that we didn't have, but we had this privilege of one what I just described, which even the Africans wouldn't have. And uh, one thing I cannot remember is where the water came from. Uh, uh, But I do remember that eventually we had water supply. Yeah. Uh, Maybe the water supply was always there um, before before the proper toilet systems came or the drainage system. Um, But the electricity, I remember we didn't have any issue of paraffin uh, uh, lanterns. Uh, for for electricity. Um, eventually, of course, we did have electricity. I can't remember how old I was before we had electricity, but I would imagine I had a cast, I think maybe 10, 11, something like that. Um, and then eventually, when we did have the telephone system, uh, of course, everybody had a telephone in the shop. And uh, so there was just one operator in the town. And if you wanted to make a phone call to anybody, you just had to wind this box, you know, with a which had a receiver and a box with the handle that you want. And when you did that, the operator would answer. And then you say, I want to call Nairobi, this number, blah, blah, blah. And he would make a note of it. And then he would say, he will call you back. So there was only one phone call that was being used by the town. So when your turn came, then the operator would call you and connect you to the number you wanted in Nairobi. And that's how the telephone system started. Uh, Before that, uh, obviously, we used to send out uh, what used to be, I think,
0: telegrams,
1: telegrams, yeah, yeah, telegrams, you know which uh, you know, we sent to my uncle in Nairobi to say, leaving Toronto by train, stop, arriving in Nairobi, 10 a.m., stop, Friday, stop, you know. Uh, so, telegram would go from the post office. And uh, as I said in one of my emails to you, and nobody knew anybody's address by house number or street number. Your address was your PO Box number. And the PO box was at the post office. So you rented this box for which you had a key. And every day you went and collected your letters and things. And that was your address. So, seriously, anybody asked, what is your address? And in those days, there would be PO box this, PO box this. Not just for Mbal, eh? you know, for Jinja, Kampala, Nairobi, Mbas, Mbasa, Tanzania, everyone had the PO box. I, the PO box system, I think, still exists uh, for the mail. So the mail doesn't get delivered uh, at home. So, so this is my recollection as, as a youngster. Uh, fantastic education system. I was very fortunate uh, to be in that system. And when I was like uh, six years before my final year at school, I had to decide whether I wanted to go for science or art subjects and uh, we were also helped by teachers to say if you're good, you know. And so I had, uh, I had chosen um, science and our school was so advanced for those days that if I tell you that for my O-levels, which is the exam we give, this was the English system examination, by the way, and all our examinations were set by Cambridge University you know, for schools. And uh, we had to give O-levels, uh, which, which was like um, two years before university. Uh, and then we had to go another example, A-levels, which was the last year of school, so the 12th grade, uh, which was set by Cambridge University. And our school was so advanced that we were being offered not just to do maths, but you want to do additional maths as a subject. So I was doing maths, additional maths, physics, chemistry, biology, they were all separate subjects, not just general science, you know, as one subject and things like that. So it was an amazing, amazing system. And I was very fortunate. And uh, I would say that uh, without uh, blowing my own trumpet, that I was an average student Um, and, Last year of my schooling, I was also the head prefect of the school. Uh, we had a lot of uh, curriculum activities, so I was a very very keen scout. And uh, me and four of my other friends, um, we did uh, we went scouting together. We used to go camping together, and we used to pass all the examination that go with scouting together. And eventually, all five of us received the. Uh, Queen Scout Award, which is a certificate after passing so many exams, that is actually given and signed by the Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth II. And so we have that. And in fact, all five of us even have got a picture with our Scouts uniform, which came in the Uganda Argus, which was the local newspaper. And I still have the picture of uh, all five of us. You have uh, to send that to me. Yeah. In fact, uh, I think I gave a copy to Shiraz Kasmani when I came there. He's got a copy, but I will definitely take a print of it and uh, send it to you. Uh, so I was a Queen Scout, and uh, I think those are my happy memories. And then in 1964 is uh, – sorry, no, yeah, 1962 I finished my A-levels, and then I got a, so I got a place um, – in uh, yeah before i said that let me explain to you uh that uh, the system in east africa at the time was that uganda had a university for medicine uh, kenya had a university for engineering and tanzania had a university for law so after schooling and with very um, what shall i say you know, blinkered eyes with uh, you know very limited vision. People always thought of you know be becoming a doctor, engineer, or a lawyer uh, in East Africa. To be honest, nobody thought of other things. Um, you know, I think perhaps Dean's group was one of the ones which went England to do accountancy and things like that. Yeah, uh, but anyway, I I wanted to do. I yeah. What happened was. When I did A levels, I didn't know what to do. None of my friends knew what to do. And uh, so, when the results came out, so after all levels, rather, we didn't know which subjects to choose for A levels since the last two years of schooling, uh, which would have, which would, you know, prepare us for university. And uh, so, we went to our teachers and said, We don't know what to do for our A levels. So, the teacher looked at my results and he said, Oh, you're very good at maths. So, you better do physics. Uh, maths, physics and uh, chemistry and then another friend of mine and he said, "Oh, you're not very good at uh, maths so you better do physics, chemistry and biology. So we did that without really knowing or thinking what will be the next step at university. And then when I did mine, I got my A-level results. This friend of mine who did physics, chemistry, biology got his and then I went to the teachers again and they said, you can either do B.Sc. Science, or you can do engineering. That's all they said. So I said, I don't do. If I do B.Sc. Science, what do I do? They said you become a teacher. I said, Oh, bloody hell! I don't become a teacher. So let me do engineering. So I applied at uh, University College Nairobi for engineering, and my friend who was not good at maths but did physics, chemistry, and biology, you know, he asked the same question, and he was told, yeah you can do B.Sc. Science or medicine. So he said, I think I will go for medicine. So He applied at Makarara University in in Kampala and got a place there. And that's my friend, Dr. Sadhu who is based in uh, Calgary. Uh, So I I did engineering. And uh, the first year, uh, sorry, I mean, um, I got a place in Nairobi. And uh, when you get a place, it's almost like a scholarship because everything is paid by the government. So I went... um, to Nairobi in 1963, uh, 63, 64, for my first year of engineering. Now what happened was, although they were doing engineering degrees being set by Cambridge University, from the year I joined, because Kenya had become independent, just (laughs) independent, they decided that they're going to have their own degrees, East African degrees. And I got a bit nervous about it and uh, not knowing whether it will be recognized throughout the world or not. So since my brother Nurdin was in England at that time, I was communicating with him and he said, why don't you come to England, you know, and do it here. That was an exciting prospect, as you can imagine. In 1964, somebody telling you, you're going to go to England, it was like something out of this world, yeah. Um so 63, 64, I didn't pay much attention at university. And uh Shamim uh Shamim was in Nairobi as well doing some course in a college there. So we had a fantastic time as boyfriend,
0: girlfriend.
2: Wait, time out.
1: Huh? Hold
2: on. Okay. Every time, so when I spoke with Nuri Nada, yeah. and when I spoke with uh with Aminada, um they never said, we had a fantastic time. It was like, nada. they had to keep it secret. <laughs> uh, otherwise, you know, Rozianti would be shipped back home or something. Um, uh, with Aminada, it was, it was Nassimati, you know, had to go back home for a few years. And then, and then, and then she came. Um, All of a sudden, you're having a fantastic time. No, no, this is in Nairobi, in Nairobi. So how, how all of a sudden are you having a fantastic time and I'm your brothers are, are keeping it on the low down?
1: Yeah, I'm having a good time because, first of all, I think that my prospect was to go to England. Yeah. So this first year I was studying there. It did not really matter. Right And I didn't study as hard as I was capable of studying. Uh, so it didn't matter what the results came to. And the results didn't come to very good. Uh, but what I did do was, even though the Nurdin had said come to England and he'd applied for on my behalf through a friend of his in a particular college in England for engineering, there were some loads of scholarships were being offered to Uganda at the time because Uganda also was independent. So I applied for a German scholarship to go to Germany, And they were going to put me for six months in a school of Germany to study German and then uh, to do mechanical engineering. Uh, So I applied for this and uh, I was very good at preparing for interviews. So I seem to remember that when I finished my first year at university in Nairobi and uh, before deciding to go to England, I was called for an interview in Kampala. And there were six German guys and there was one Indian guy who was the education administrator for Uganda. So they were interviewing me and I was so prepared. I knew everything about Germany, about the political system. I seem to remember the Christian Democratic Union and the uh, Christian Democratic Party. And, you know, I knew about the their uh, the, the method of education. I, I was so prepared. Um, and uh so anyway, then I was waiting for the result to come out. And uh at the same time, Nurdin was telling me that the college was starting in September in England. And so when you coming, when you come in, I said, let me wait for the reasons for the scholarship because I might get a chance to go to Germany, because really dad could not afford to pay for, for my education, to be honest. Uh he could afford to, you know enough money to pay for my fares to England, which was like 90 pounds uh by plane, um, and uh, so, so any day came when I talked to the education administrator and I said, look, am I going to get this scholarship or what's happening? And he said, I can tell you that you've got it, but it's not confirmed in writing. Okay. So I said, but I'm in a bit of a dilemma because uh, the college in England is starting and I don't miss it. At the same time, I would prefer to have a scholarship to Germany. And uh, he said, why don't you go to England? And when the scholarship is confirmed, I will write to you and we can pay you to go from England to Germany. To, you know, and uh, that's it. So I said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. So I gave him Nurdin's address, which I will never forget. It was like 52 Ebert's Gardens, East Finchley, London, N2. 52 Ebert's Garden was the name of address of the house he was staying in. So this is uh, before this is before the Bexley address. is yeah when he was staying with a Lady, him and Rosina that was staying with some English couple. What's the what's that address again? 52 Abbotts Gardens. Edwards Gardens. No Abbotts
0: A W B O T S. Edwards Gardens, East Finchley, London n 2.
1: Uh, in those days, the zip code was just N2. Yeah. And uh, so, anyway, I went to England and uh, three months later,
0: I got this letter to confirm that I had won this German scholarship. Yeah. And I was given two weeks
1: to sign in uh, that after I qualify, I will work for the, I'll work in Uganda for five years. Um as a commitment, and uh, it let us says that if you don't accept and we don't receive your letter back within two weeks, then we will offer the scholarship to somebody else. Only problem is that this letter I got was three months late because they forgot to they forgot to write fifty two Ebott's gardens you know they they just wrote care of Mr n Kasim, east finchley London n two and then eventually it ended up in Uganda embassy. And from the embassy, it came to Nurdin. Uh, and uh, so I was really gutted. And uh, I sent them the envelope, you know, their original envelope and said, look, this is the mistake you made, not giving putting the right address and everything. And uh, I never even received a reply. So uh, no regrets. Uh, maybe I would have ended up going to Germany and uh, Maybe my children now would have blonde hair. So um, <laughs> uh, nobody knows what would ever happen to me as a mechanical engineer.
2: I think your daughters have uh, have dyed their hair blonde at least once in their lifetime, I think.
1: Yes. <laughs> I'm not really blonde. My granddaughter even even dyes it red. So, <laughs> so is there anything else about my sort of youth in Bali that
2: So my dad yesterday um, shared with uh, Faiza, Aniz, and I um, a picture of the house in in Bale. Um, And when I spoke with uh, Aminada the other day, he told me that you all lived in this one house with your
1: grandfather. Um, This this lovely house, that two-story house? Yeah. Yeah, that was that was we only we lived there from I would say uh during my secondary school education. Uh, so we probably lived there for about six years. Uh but uh grandfather and father did go through tough times and eventually they had to give up that house and we move to a smaller place. But I never saw that uh or not I did see it, but I never had to leave because I had already left for England whilst we were still living in this house. My room was the one with the balcony on the first floor. And uh, I had one wall painted black, so I could use like a blackboard for my study. Yeah, so I used used one wall as a blackboard. Whilst I was doing my maths and physics calculations and all that, uh, writing formula for organic chemistry, you know, formulas and things like that. Um, so I was quite studious at the time. You can separate the only studious brother at the time, you know, and only one having ended up being going to university. Uh, you know, not necessarily because I was clever or anything, I was studious. Of course, big family, big commitments, affordability, everything goes into it. Um, so, yeah, I was very fortunate to be living that, room with a balcony in the front on the first floor. And we had uh, quite a few students come from different parts of Uganda and from Kenya uh, who were staying at our, that particular house as a border into the room next to mine, which was almost like a dormitory. It was so big, which is not surprising. Uh, this house was purpose-built, by the way. It was a bespoke. And so we see my uh, dad uh, deciding on the plan of the house. And because we had like a dormitory, was because all the boys can sleep in one room, and but then another big room where the girls can sleep. And then another room where, for the grandfather and then one room for mom and dad. So uh, it was like that. And uh, so in the dormitory, because uh, we were going through tough time financially, and Nurdin was already in England. And uh, so we had to have these borders uh, to sleep in this room that was like a dormitory. And we had, in fact, I said, remember, we had one, two, three, four, up to five borders, actually. Wow. And where were they from? Sorry? Where were they from? Um, Well, there was one guy from Masaka, uh, uh, sorry, two guys from Masaka. Uh, one was a Hindu Punjabi guy, the son of a barber, uh, but he was a genius, genius, and did medicine and became a brain surgeon. Okay. And uh, then there was another Ismaili guy from Kisumu, sorry, two Ismaili guys from Kisumu, uh, and one Goan guy from Entebbe, you know, who used to love music and play guitar and and was uh, was suspended from school because he was taking too much interest in music than studies. So they were all to do the last. They were all there to do the last two years of schooling. So yeah. So there was this one guy, one guy, two Ismailis from Kisumu, uh, Amin and uh, Nizar, and then uh, the Anwar guy from Masaka, and then this son of a barber from Masaka. Yeah, five of them. And they, they were done okay. They were okay. Nice. And... Uh, um, so you were the studious one? I think so, yeah.
2: And and Amina was the one who would bother Bapaji for some money to go see movies.
1: <laughs> That's correct.
2: How I did it... To...
1: Go ahead. I used to also watch a lot of movies. Uh, me and my friend used to visit Yeah, yeah. yeah. But 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 I was focused on my schooling education, no doubt about it. And uh, I seem to remember that even Nuddin used to admire me at the time. Uh, and uh, the system we had was uh, was also like that we should give an incentive to work hard. So this only level I'm talking about, which is the two years before A levels, you know, in other words, two years before university, the exam that's set by Cambridge University, used to get first grade second grade third grade or failed and third grade was almost like fail um and there were very few students who would get it um so i was one of the four students who got it in my year uh, a 11th uh, sorry first grade so i will go certificate which is first grade yeah so there was me and uh, there was nasim who is samim Samim's. First cousin, and then there was my friend, Sadhu Aditya, who is a doctor in Calgary, and then there was Chepul Abzar, who is a friend of Nordin. So we were four of us who had secured, uh, I mean, I should say four of us in amongst the Ismailis, yeah? yeah? For the first grade. There were, of course, few other from other communities who had uh, first grade as well. Yeah. Uh, and that was um, uh, one main reason why I easily got a place in Nairobi University or paid for by the government, and also why perhaps I was also successful in securing the German scholarship, although I never got a chance to use it. Um, so yeah, that is, that's it uh, as far as that is concerned.
2: How did, so how did you and Amidada get so tight? Okay. Because it seems like, you know, you seemed growing up to be different. But today, and for I don't know how many years you guys have been, it seems to me that you two are are, are very close.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think we are almost like
0: joined at the hips, to be honest. Uh, what happened was, um, after I left to go to England, it was tough. I tell you how tough it was; you won't believe it. And we didn't think beyond the end of our noses, as far as affordability is concerned. And you were too shy to ask your father for the money when he knew he was already struggling. And um, so, when I went to England, I I found that I
1: had to work one night a week in a bakery uh, in the town where I was studying and I was getting five pounds cash in hand. This is 1964 onwards. And I was staying with an English lady uh, and paying her four pounds and 10 shillings, which was four and a half pounds at the time. And I had uh, uh, my own room with heating and all the three meals of the day in fact even four meals she went over supper at half past ten at night um and uh for lunchtime i could come home for lunch if i wanted to or she gave me pet lunch to take to the college so it was amazing for four pounds ten shillings you could get all this, yeah um and you were still left with 50 ten shillings yeah <laughs> which was amazing um and uh You know, one shilling used to be 12 pence at the time. So you can imagine 20 shillings was like 240 pence. And uh, for three pence, you can get chips. And for 75 pence, you could get fish and chips. Yeah? So you can imagine 240 pence in a pound, 75p, you can get fish and chips. So that's how, you know, there was no, I don't think that terminology inflation Was even invented then. Nobody thought about inflation and,
0: you know, uh, so it was brilliant. Uh, So it was very tough. And then what happened was one
1: day I got a letter from my mom who said that, look, you cannot be courting with somebody for three years without getting married. Yeah.
2: Mind you, wrote this letter to you.
1: She knew that Shamim and I were sort of corresponding with each other and so on, yeah. And that she was my girlfriend. Uh, so in 1967, these three years after I left, um, I told Nurdin that uh, this is what Mom is saying, uh, and I made him read the letter. He said, "Good idea, go home and get married," you know. And I said, "I don't even have a bloody suit, man." And he said, "I'll give you my suit." So he gave me a suit. I said, I don't have money to go back to Nairobi, to go back home. And she said, I'll pay for your fares. So he paid for my fares. And I got home and told Shamim I'm getting married. And she said, of course, yes. And uh, it was quite funny, actually, because I told my mom that, OK, we decided to get married. And my mom was supposed to send a proposal to Shamim's dad. So, what happened was my flat flight died there in such that it went to Nairobi because Nairobi, you know, my mom's brothers were staying in Nairobi. So, it was very convenient and, and we were very close to our mamas. So, I seem to remember that from England I went to Nairobi and Shamim came to Nairobi as well. Uh, she had relations there as well. So, we were going out for a few days and planning this wedding and everything. And- and uh, then we decided on the, on the date. Uh, and uh, so we didn't have mobile phones in those days. You had to go to a telephone booth to make a phone call. And then, uh, so one day, Shamim said, Let's, why don't you ring my dad and tell him we have decided on this date, assuming that my mom has already put the proposal forward? Yeah. So one evening, you know. Shamim dad was quite a tough guy. I mean, he was not somebody you would muck around with, yeah? He didn't even know about this, we were courting and all that. And it was like a taboo, you know, in those days. Um, so so I got in the telephone booth, you know, Shamim next to me, and I'm ringing her dad, and I said, uh, we've decided on the 12th of August, you know, My I said, who is this? I said, Taj. So who's Taj? I said, I, told you. I was stumbling there, not knowing what to say. And I said, my mom my, my, my has not sent you a, a proposal. I said, what proposal? You know. I said, oh my God. I, I immediately gave the phone to Shamim. I can't remember what happened then, whether we put the phone down or what. Basically, I wanted to tell him that we wanted to get married on the 12th of August, only to find out later on that my mom had written to him with my with a proposal to ask for the daughter's hand in marriage, and he never got the letter. And, but that is history. So, but most <laughs> important thing is that uh, I got married, and then
0: it took Shamim about six months to get visas to join me. And then I went to England, and you know the the whole thing sunk in. As to, I was studying then, and how am I going to? How am I going to live? Okay, uh, Amin had come in the meantime, and uh,
1: so Amin and I were staying in one rented room, and sharing a bed. Now, imagine this is a married man who's waiting for his wife to arrive. Okay, he's going to college. Um, He's living on his brother's earning. uh, I mean, whatever, he was was doing insurance or something. And uh, so two of us were staying like that and and obviously we became extremely close. Uh, I was going to college and... uh, when you go to college over in England, they give you names of the books that you have to buy and, and use and read and whatever for every subject. And that in itself was like a mammoth task. So Amin would help me go to various libraries. And I'm sorry to say this on the podcast, but it's to steal books from the libraries that I was supposed to buy so that I can use them. That is just as an example.
0: And then uh, we go to a stage and then Shamim finally arrived and
1: uh, (laughs) she came, I seem to remember. And then, of course, because Shamim was coming, I mean, and I had to find a better place because, you know, so we found a place with a lounge and a bedroom and a kitchen. I can't remember whether the kitchen was being shared or not, but the lounge was being doubled up as Amin's bedroom at night. Um, so I and then this place we arrived, I'm uh, sorry, we rented just before Shamim came. So Shamim came in the um, winter months, in the evening, um, because we brought quarter from the airport, quarter train, suitcase home. And in the morning Amin went to work and I went to college. And when she opened the curtains, across from the road was a cemetery. But she got the shock of her life. Because all the cemeteries in Uganda and Kenya and East Africa used to be in the jungle, where you know you were scared to go there and you only heard about ghost stories in the cemetery. And you know, you'd be frightened to go to a cemetery unless it was daytime and so on. Um, so that is how it started. And uh, then, uh, well, of course, there was no money to re- lead a reasonable life, and Shami had to immediately find a job, which she did fortunately. So uh, she was working in a place uh, where you could rent and hire television sets. Uh, you know, in those days, black and white. And then, once we were there, then the colored televisions came as well. So she was working as an accountant there and uh but before she came you know i mean and i wanted to give a fantastic life to my newlywed bride and i seem to remember that we bought a second television you know for five pounds and it was huge and we bought it from a shop which was like two miles away from where we were living and we carried this huge thing to home and you know got this TV working, it was black and white. Um, so we did a lot of things like this together. Uh, and uh, most of the, you can say we struggled together, yeah, which is what bonded us together. So anyway, Swamin then started working and then we moved, moved from there because we didn't want to
0: stay opposite the cemetery. So we moved to London uh, in an address called 4 Maxfield Road. Uh, yeah, number four, Maxfield Road. Road, Putney. It was in Putney. And uh, and uh, so this flat we
1: rented was in the attic. It was in the roof space. But we had uh, one bedroom of our own with slanting ceiling. And we had a lounge of our own. With one was straight and another was slanting. And the kitchen had slanting walls all three three ways, where only shamin was big enough just for Shamim. <laughs> and uh, this was all up on the on the third floor, yeah, and uh, on the first floor, there was a bathroom which we had
0: to share with the rest of the tenants in the house and uh and you won't believe this uh but um, what Shamim then was expecting.
1: And I don't know that I should put this thing, but you can edit this if necessary. We didn't have enough money to buy food, although Shamim didn't know this. So there was a supermarket, small supermarket, just around the corner, where Amin and I would go and steal some tins of food. Um, uh, And uh, Shamim was feeling very hot in the summer. We were expecting a baby, and we couldn't expect, uh, we couldn't... uh, what so shall I say, afford to buy a pecker of orange juice. Not that in those days, they were not that readily available anywhere. But uh, orange ice cream was available, the Lordy ice cream. So, so we would buy those and crush them and put them in a jug and give it to Shami while she was expecting a baby. Uh, so, so we started stealing books from the library. We steal food from the supermarket. <laughs> I must have been, most of it was done by Amin because I was too scared. <laughs> sure, blame him. <laughs> it was amazing. I was too scared, man. And um, and uh, and then what happened was, this is perhaps the pinnacle of struggle, which brought us very close. That Amin Adha was doing insurance. He might have told you, in a company called Eagle Star. And in those days, I don't know about now, but there was no full-time course or even a part-time course in insurance. It was like doing accountancy, chartered accountancy, where you joined a company and had articleship uh, to do accountancy. Um, And that was accepted by the British government for giving visas amin was doing working with this company eagle star as a trainee insurance guy and he was loving it really and he would have made his life out of that and uh, and he used to get his visa once a year and suddenly one year he went for visas and um, they put a stamp to say he must leave within one week leave england within one week so there was a panic situation You know, it was almost like losing your wife or husband because three of us were staying together almost like a family. Even in in the attic, you were staying together. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yes. Not only that, from there we moved to Mexico until Amin got married, we were staying together. (laughs) (laughs) Not until got married. I think we did move out at some stage. Yeah. I I remember, I'll come to that. Uh, No, no, Amin was with us for a long time. And uh, yeah, I will tell you, in fact, such a long time that Anisha thought he was the father, but I'll come to that. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, um,
0: uh, so so they put a stamp to say that he must leave the country within a week. And we didn't know what to do.
1: So I went with him to the home office and said, you know, what's the problem? And they said, he's not doing 15 hours of day studies in a week is the requirement 15 hours of day studies okay So we so we he went to various colleges and joined the course, secretarial course, domestic science course, whatever course you can imagine he just joined uh, you know two hours a week here and one hour a week there and uh, so we went with 15 hours and this again put a stamp saying you must live within seven days. He said, what happened? He said, you haven't did half an hour for lunch break. And uh, so they were very hard. And, um, and uh, so you are okay to talk or, Karim, you... No, we're yeah. good. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we had to do something about this now because the time was running out and they would have put him on the plane and got, got him to go back to Uganda. So, we then decided to let him join college full-time. And I think the fee was 150 pounds for foreign students and um,
0: join accountancy. And um, um, Shamim Chachi had, when she left
1: Kenya, you were allowed to bring maximum 250 pounds or something. So, she had that saved. So, we used that 150 pounds for him to join the college. But but this also meant that he was going to leave his job. And from his job, he used to contribute five pounds a week. And uh, Shamim uh, used to earn after-tax uh, 12 pounds a week. So we used to live with 17 pounds a week, yeah? Uh, of which I seem to remember the seven pounds, 10 shillings, went towards the rent and uh, then went towards my college uh, you know, catching train to the college and all that and my lunch and everything uh, and the rest were the food and so on, yeah? So we were living with 17 pounds a week with, I mean, contributing 5 pounds which was going to stop. So we didn't know what to do. So I said, okay, I will leave college. You know, I was in my final year and uh, I left college and uh that's the best thing that's happened in my career uh, so i left college and uh, i mean joined college um uh, and soon after that he got um articleship to do accountancy where he was getting paid so i found after a few months uh, there was no need for me to work so um and uh, I think I can't remember what work I was doing, but I think I was working somewhere in, in a big store, moving furnitures and things like that, yeah? And uh, then when Amin joined the Articleship and Shami was still working, then I didn't want to waste my life not doing anything. It was my final year, which I had taken a break from, but it was too late, too late to go back to the college. So I went uh, looking for a job in civil engineering company and was not having much joy. So I went to a company called Wimpy. I seem to remember the, i never forget, Six Hammersmith Grove was the address in London. And I went there and in those days, they used to have personal managers, not not HR. They used to be called personal managers who used to recruit staff. Uh, I went and told the reception, can I see the personal manager? And she said, why? I said, I uh, want to talk to him about a job. She said, have you got uh, an appointment? And I said, no, I don't have an, an appointment. And she said, well, you can't do, you can't join. But I said, I keep writing to people and nobody's even calling me for an interview. So I've come here myself for an interview. And she said, you know, you can't do things like that. And then this personal manager happened to pass behind me And he could see me arguing with this woman. And he said, what seems to be the problem? So she said, he wants to see you, but he doesn't have an appointment. So he said, what do you want? You know, he said, what do you want? So I said, I want to work for you for nothing. That's what I told him.
0: And I meant it. So he came, he said, come to my office. So I went to his office and sent out,
1: told them the story of our lives. (laughs) why I had left college, and why I did not need to work anymore, uh, other than get some experience by working for a company like this. So I said, I'm not after money, you know, we are quite happily living with 70 pounds a week, three of us, just give me a job where I can, you know, learn something. So he said, okay, uh, I can't have you working for nothing, but I'll give you six pounds a week, okay? as a training engineer, but you need to go to Wales
0: uh, for on, a, on a dam project. So we went to Wales, and, uh, and I was staying in a
1: pub with other engineers, and we used to go to this amazing valley, amazing valley, where they were going to blast this mountain and use the clay for filling to form a dam. And there was a lot of protest you know, from the environmentalists and so on. And eventually the dam was built. It was called Clean Brian Dam. Clean Brian Dam. And I was staying in a Welsh village called Klendawari, spelled with double L, Klendawari. Uh, so Amin I was with Shamin during that period. And anyway, I was enjoying this training thing so much. And then after that, Wimpy brought me, uh, they brought another company called Fitzpatrick, or there's some association with it or something. I what happened? Is it? No, no, no. Wimpy brought me back here, yeah, and then they're using me on a different site, on a motorway. Yeah, motorway site, M40, High Wecome Bypass. And uh, so I worked like that for a few months, and I seem to remember this, These guys were coming from Imperial College with first class in civil engineering, and they were working under me, and they were saying, "Wow, man! Wow, you know so much. How do you know all this?" And they were admiring me, and I didn't even have a degree, and I was there, you know, with a lot of experience. Yeah, and just being out engineer, and then some terminologies they use on site they don't even teach you at college. Uh, So there was tremendous thing for me that whole year's experience. And um, then what happened was because I took a year off, you know, when I did join the college, I failed, to be honest, but which, meant, which meant that I continued working. So I was like two years of fantastic experience before I got my qualification. So you can imagine what my prospects were in job hunting after that, after I did eventually qualify. So then... Um,
0: Anisha was born whilst we were in Maxfield Road, and uh, and um, I yeah Anisha was born. Um, I applied for a job in a soils lab,
1: okay, and through a friend of mine who was related to Shamin, uh, who was a civil engineer and he was emigrating to Canada. And he told me, why don't you apply for this job? And I thought, it's not a bad idea. Maybe I'll get some experience in soils engineering, which is one of the subjects I had done, I was doing anyway, but I was not qualified then yet.
0: So, so anyway, we, so I applied for this job. Anisha was born. Uh,
1: then Northern was living to go to England and he was living in Harbeck's close. So the house was available. Um, I got a job. Shami was in hospital in those days to keep women for ten days. Afterwards, when they went for maternity, yeah. So you know, when the baby was born, they were left. They were there for ten days. So you won't believe this. I want to turn what luck Anisha brought us. Yeah, I picked up from the hospital in the car which I was given as an employee working as a soils engineer, right? I got the job. So picked picked them up in the car and took them straight to Arbex close, okay? So we are now in a, living in a basement, like it was our own house because it belonged to Nurdin. Uh, eventually, I think Shokar bought it, but it, so it belonged to him. And that was really the change of luck. After that, never looked back, okay? uh so so what happened then? We moved into the house. I was working as a soil engineer. Uh, then uh, then the company uh, that another company called Fitzpatrick bought over this company, which was called Lemur and Trinidad, which was uh, soy engineering. So Fitzpatrick bought Lemur and Trinidad, and Fitzpatrick were contractors. And then they were using me as an engineer, of which I already had some experience with WIMPY. So I was like, you know, now becoming a senior engineer. So a, in, in terms of leather, in, in, uh, in my profession, you start as a junior engineer and you do setting out, which is very impressive. And you see these guys on the road with these instruments and holding a staff. Yeah, that is the least, lowest position you can have. Civil engineer, then, then you become a senior engineer and you start taking more responsibility. Then you progress further and you become like a section uh, agent, so you look after a section of the job, then you become a sub-agent, which is like assistant project manager, then you become a site agent, which is the project manager, then you become a contract manager where you look after more than one contract. Then you become an office manager, looking after an office. Then you become an associate director. Then you become a director, okay? So I was on this junior engineer position with a lot of experience. So this Fitzpatrick took over and then they would send me uh, to work. Uh, Now what happened was, um, because I was really determined now to get my qualification, Past my exam. Um, I decided to stay somewhere not far from where I was working, because we didn't have all those fantastic roads and everything those days. So it was like a, you know, long drive to work, long drive back home, with not much time left for studies. Uh so I for three for three months I stayed near work. Yeah. And uh I seem to remember uh, going and asking for a place to stay. Uh, And I went uh, to this area where there were mostly guys from Pakistan and Mm -hmm. India. And this was mostly from Pakistan. And so I went to this
0: guy and he said, uh, "You um, you, you want a bed or you want a room? So I said, what do you mean? So he
1: said, you can have a bed for daytime or you can have a bed for nighttime. So I said, uh, you mean you mean if I have room, bed for night, somebody else will sleep in there during bedtime? He said, yeah. So I said, no, 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 let's, let's talk about the room. So he gave me a room eventually. And this room, I'm not kidding. I don't know in those days, if you remember, we used to get this telephone directories, which were this thick, yeah? There used to be competition with this guy showing off the strength, trying to tear this. So there were... Six of these, which made one of the four legs, legs, you know, the bed. So I rented this place. I seem to remember like 15 shillings a week. And I had to share the kitchen with somebody. And uh, so so I lived there for three months. And during that period, you can imagine, it was in Habek's cause was Amin uh, and uh, Shamin, and Anisha. So when I go home on the weekends, some weekends I would not go home. I would study. Some weekends I would go home and I would go near Anisha and she would so scratch my cheeks, you know. She didn't <laughs> want me to try and hold her. And honestly, she thought that I Amin mean, was the father. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, you can imagine now why we became so close. And uh, and then, of course, I Amin... Mean, uh, was staying with an English lady we know, Jo, in London. And uh, I think he got to meet uh, Nassim. Uh, But I think we maybe didn't meet Nassim when we were living in in, um, Maxwell Road, because Nassim was staying in Schubert Road, which is a road parallel to Maxwell Road. Uh, But I don't know how. But anyway, so Amin was now in love, and he was staying with Joe, our English friend. And he would walk and meet Naseem. So, so I, you know, obviously I was, I was now having my dedicated married life without Amin in my life. And Amin was courting with Nassim, without Naseem in his life. And then, of course, they got married and Shamim was the one who was like a mother who organized everything. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, obviously, we got even more close. And Nasim's brothers, and they came to London. And uh, we jointly made an effort for, for them to get married. Um, so, yeah, we got very close. And then I could see that I Amin mean, was not in a much future in England. He was working with a, with a meat guy, a, a wholesale butcher's. Uh, or wholesale meat supplier and uh, he was working with them even when he was staying in Harbeck's Close with me and Shamim and also it was very convenient because he used to bring meat and chicken and everything you know, free and there was a luxury, believe me to have a, a Sunday joint which was roast beef on a Sunday which everybody had once a week it was like a luxury and he would you know, get big piece of joint from work. Uh, he was, and uh, he was enjoying his work, and uh, I used to admire him because, I mean, he's the sort of guy unlike me and not like I would give my life for my company and not knowing that one year after you leave them, you are forgotten. Uh, and uh, whereas, I mean, he would work what he was expected to do, that's what he would do, and 9 to 5 means 9 to 5. And I used to admire him because he used to tell me. I seem to remember with this meat supplier, he was working as an accountant. He was telling me that I'm doing, I'm doing one week's work in five hours, and I'm getting overtime as well. So you know, that's my brother. I mean, wow. uh, and I think he's followed that philosophy throughout his life. Um, yeah, I didn't say one thing. Didn't tell you one thing that I. In my profession, I had a sort of a meteoric rise uh It took me fourteen years from being a junior engineer that I described to be the managing director of a five hundred million pound public company. When I I became managing director I actually made, they made me the lock m d in nine uh, in uh, nineteen eighty four because the m d was going to do an MBA course, which had just come out then. MBA was quite a relatively new thing, and he wanted to do it full-time uh, course in nine months and get MBA because he never had a degree in civil engineering, but he was a brilliant guy. Brilliant. So he wanted some sort of qualification uh, as a director before he became MD. No, no, he, he had become MD, yeah. So for nine months, because he went to do this course, he made me locum, made me, I was already a director. He made me the locum MD. And all the other directors, were English guys. And they knew who the next MD was. So I was not getting much cooperation during that period from them. But even then, I ran the company like amazing. And then um, afterwards, they offered me the managing directorship. But for my sins, I decided to buy a company. And I left this company in 1995, which was my biggest mistake that I made. Um, And after that, I had to struggle a lot before I I met up again. So after I left uh, them, I bought a company, which was okay for a year and a half. And then there was a big recession, and we lost our house and lost everything. I had to go to Uganda uh, from. So from uh, we run the company down. I, was, I had bought this company in 1985, run it until 1992 to wind it down. I sold the company with the land, sold the house in '93. Rented a place, went to Uganda on my own, uh, and it was a struggle until I came back in the year 2000 or 1993, actually. So I was in Uganda from 90, sorry, 93 to 99, came back in 99. And then I to really get focused and work extremely hard again to come up to the same sort of standard as I was enjoying when I was the director of the company. Uh, I think it took me up to uh, the year 2010 when we bought this house and I was able to get it refurbished so yeah, that is uh, that's the story. Uh, and uh, I don't know if I've left any gaps so that you want me to fill in.
2: No, I want to, I want to ask you one last question. Um, what what advice would you give to your grandchildren? And maybe you've already given them this advice, but um, what advice? Not- would you give them, not specifically about studies or career, but I don't know, life advice? Is there anything that you would like them to know if there's yeah. one thing that they should know?
1: I'm sorry, but I, I, I'm sorry, but I have to, first of all, give advice advisor career, yeah? Okay. Because one thing I need to tell you, that I was very selfish as far as my career was concerned. I never thought of the family. I made my daughters change the school 10 times. Um, Anisha, at the age of nine, she sat down for an exam, which is called 11 plus, but because she is born in 29th of August, she would be the sort of the youngest student in the class, but the youngest would be the one who was born 31st of August. So the system of schooling here is that the year begins from the 1st of September the 31st of August. So if you were on the 29th of August, you would be one of the youngest. But the, this, this 11 plus exam, you had to give when you were like 10 years old. But Anisha's birthday was such that she was like 9 years old. And this exam was to get a place in a grammar school because the system of education had changed before all the schools were like grammar schools. And then the government decided they want comprehensive schools. They wanted to encourage students who were not clever and clever put them all together, and uh, and uh, and let not be competitive, you know. Uh, that uh, so there was, so people then, uh, but so, but the, the, some grammar school decided to stay as grammar schools, but then it was very difficult to get a place in a grammar school, so. I was a director at the time living in Seven Locks in Riverhead with a beautiful house next to a lake. And uh, Anisha said for this exam, 10,000 students had set for 2,000 places. And she got the place in Girls Grammar School in a place called Tonbridge, Bridge. And then I had to move from there. And then... uh, The mistake I made was because I moved from there, I was feeling so guilty that I put both the girls in private school, Yeah, where the other girls were really far advanced because they were from private school from the beginning. And in England, the private school are called public school, by the way. And uh, the government schools are called state schools. So so I put them in a public school in Guildford. it's okay, they didn't do badly. Anisha got a degree, but Kassim uh, didn't manage to get a degree, but she did okay. Um, except that Anisha got into grand drama and English because she was the best actress in the school. <laughs> and uh, and there's another big grammar school in Guildford, which is like 400 years old, boys school. So when the boys would uh, organize plays in their school, they would uh, call Anisha to take a part as one of the major roles. So I think that got into her head and she thought she was going to be a great actress. And despite me saying to her, uh, she will have a limited role and so on. And that's what she eventually did, English and Drama. She's very happy and contented. Uh, So what I would say is, when it comes to career, I was very selfish. And I should have thought of family. And I should have been more firm with the company who kept moving me. They were very generous when they were moving me the amount of money they were giving me for, um, you know, uprooting myself and selling the house, buying another house and all that. Uh, but I was really selfish in that respect. So, yeah, my advice would be for any guy or a woman think of the family at the same time. Yeah. Um what advice you know as parent and grandparent, you just think of education honestly. And every time I talk to my grandchildren, I'm just talking about, about schooling, even to the annoyance of Anissa sometimes, you know, because she thinks I'm overdoing it. Um,
0: so I don't know what in terms of what's sort of the advice. Um, um, you see, because of my career as well, we used to have away from jamaat as well.
1: So from that respect, point of view also, I've suffered in the sense like, you know, Manisha has got her own ideas about religion, yeah? Uh, as you know, I don't know if you know, but I mean, she's, <laughs> you know I, what I said in my wedding speech, yeah? I was not there at your wedding speech, so... Uh, in my wedding speech, I said, you know, that I am... I started my speech by saying, my name is Taj, and I'm the father of...
2: Oh, this is Anisha's wedding. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I said. No, I said... I don't know what you said. No. In my speech, I said, my name is Taj, and I'm a capitalist, capitalist father of a socialist bride. No? And, uh, which, is, which is true. Which is true. And I, said, I, I even offered to pay for a six six-course meal, but no, she wanted fish and chips which is what we had during the reception. And uh, next thing I said, that I am, my name is Taj and I am
0: a socialist. I am a, some, sorry, I said I'm some, I'm a, I'm a religious father of an atheist bride. And why, asked Anisha, why, you know, why
1: are you a non-believer? And all she could say was God knows. So, so that's how my speech went. So, like, Alicia does not believe in religion, um, and I can say maybe it's my fault because uh, we used to live in the wilds where there was no Jamatkhana, and we could hardly go Jamatkhana once a month or things like that. And I should have, uh, you know, I should have been more conscious of that, like Nurdin and Rosina. You know, they were very, very particular. About their children, the religion, the sevas, all those things that you know that that they have instilling into their children. Uh, you know they obviously very focused from that point of view.
0: Yeah. Uh, although they also make sure the education-wise, they also a bit fantastic. Um, so yeah, um, if you are not talking about education, then the religion that comes to my mind.
1: Um, I can't think of what else. What did your mind when it comes to what would I advise McGrath? I chief? have,
2: I have, uh, I Minaz mean, will tell you, I have nothing in my mind. Um, oh. so okay. it, it is whatever you wanted to say, but you know, to end off, <clears throat> let me, you know, let me say, say this to, uh, I don't know uh anisha's daughter very well I, I think i've only i i may have met her when she was a baby uh but i don't uh i i i have i
1: don't know her um, Let me tell you that maya is is growing up like anisha uh she's a duplicate of anisha um and uh when i talk to her she does take more interest than anisha did in terms of me guiding her on through her career uh, you know, she's quite excited about it. And uh, even to the point that I think she's thinking in terms of Oxford, Cambridge, Howard, and places like that uh, for university. Uh, I'm not sure if you ask me whether I think she's that clever that she'll make it. Uh, because sometimes clever people don't say much and you don't know. Yeah, uh, She seems to be focused enough to be able to achieve something like that. And uh, so I'm trying to guide her in that respect, uh, education-wise. When I talked to her about life and, you know, I said that you should think of after you finish your university, that's going to, whatever you do up to there is going to pay the rest of your life as to what sort of standard of living you had, what sort of house you live in, what sort of car you drive, if those things are important to you. Uh, you know, they are not to Anisha. To Anisha, those things are not at all important, okay? Uh, so when I talk to Maya, she does listen and get excited. That if I tell her that, you know, if you were at Cambridge University and you wanted to work in a bank, you get a job, you know, without an interview and you start with £80,000 and get a million-pound bonus at the end of the year, which is true in England, yeah? Uh, you know, if you were in a bank... Uh, as an investment banker and things like that, even as a trainee. Uh, but I said that you weren't out at the age of 55. And I was explaining this thing to Maya, and she was really getting excited because she likes science and so on. And uh, so yeah, I only those sort of things I talked with her. She doesn't mind coming to Khan and saying dua with her and be and so on. Yeah. So she sits down with me and then someem said dua and everything. Uh, but whether uh, in her adult life, she's she will ever make an effort to go to Khanal. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think <laughs> all
2: that. All that being said, Ajwada, I, 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 I have to tell you this: that to see how Anisha and Maya get along uh, as mother and daughter, uh, even at at Maya's age, is should say to you that what you and and um, Shamimanti did, you've done an amazing job. Uh, yeah, and so I don't think that you should look back and say to yourself, you may have made some mistakes, because I don't think you did. Uh, I think, I think you've done an amazing job looking at how they get along.
1: Yeah, I've been very fortunate that Anisha has turned out to be what she is, right? Extremely, extremely contented person. And I don't think you'd, find, you'd have a job to find a happier person. You know, she's... Uh, there you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, so things have gone well. Um, and Tessima has been very reasonably content as well, but she's more like, you know, she likes the luxuries of life. Um, and uh, and she's married to a nice guy and they're doing well. Shukar, everything's fine. And she's enjoying what she's doing, you know, uh, part-time teaching. She does as a substitute teacher, and uh, she's quite popular as a substitute teacher. So I should not really complain too much.
2: No, you've got two amazing daughters.
1: Yeah. For sure. You know, know, Mia Lur has written her second book. Yes. (laughs) Her children's book, yeah. So, So, yeah, things are fine. Listen, I don't have too many regrets. The biggest mistake, as I said, which everyone makes in life, you always... You always make one big big mistake in life, I will tell you, and then remember that always, and everybody does that, and my biggest mistake was to give up that job as a managing director, yeah, and, uh, you you know, life was so nice and steady, and everything was well settled, and, you know, we're living in Guilford, in a lovely house, amazing, you know, I used to get a new car every two years, there was a position, there was respect. I don't know if I told you, but uh in, in those days when I became a director, it was like something very new in England. It was unheard of an right. Indian guy being a director of a big public company, a civil engineering company. so I used to get all these invitations from you know like nineteen eighty two Marcus. Uh, who is who in the world. I think they are the ones who publish who is who in the world. So in 1982, they even interviewed me and you'll see a paragraph in the 1982, who is who in the world, which uh, says Taj Din and about my CV and, uh, and Anisha and Tasneem are also mentioned there. Uh, and and their date of birth and so on, yeah? This is in 1982. Anisha Tashni was born in 79, uh, 72 Tashni was born, Anisha was born in 69. So yeah, so, um, so yeah, this, and then I used to get other people, men of achievement and this and that all coming to me and wanting me to give them details and of course they, you buy their book and they charge you for the, for the book okay. quite heftily. Uh, I could afford to do it then. And at uh, the same time, they gave me a certificate on a fantastic wooden plaque. Yeah. And and uh, so I, is Marcus who is who in the world. Um, uh, Maya has taken together with my certificate you know, on a wooden plank. And I've got five or six others. And I was trying to bin them. And then I didn't know, should I bin them or should I wait? Will one of my, uh, grandchildren, or, or or my children, or, or one of the cousins would be interested. Uh, so I left them. I was waiting for Taslim uh, to come in June, and I will ask if Mia or Ari are interested. You know, sometimes people might say, uh, "My grandfather is mentioning this book, and, and you know, might be interested in taking it." I don't know, but if nobody's interested, I'm going to put them in the bin. And uh, I go to a stage where. Even my certificate, uh, my degree, and my more important than my degree is my chartered membership of the Institute of Civil Engineers and my membership of the American Society of Civil Engineers. I never framed them. They're still rolled up, yeah, in in a sleeve, and and I don't know what to do with them. I'm going to dump them. Take photos.
2: (laughs) Take photos of all these with your phone
1: and save them and yeah i've got uh, i've got uh, prints of them yeah you send them i think you're even getting rid of the original if i'm going to save i might even save the original
2: yeah but i mean like if you're going to get rid of them like take a photo of them okay and save them in your account online somewhere
1: okay
2: right so that it can be accessed afterwards
1: Sure. Yeah, I will do that. Yeah, I, I do would be idea. very
2: interested in some of these photos.
1: Yeah, good idea. No, I yeah. will do that because I already got prints of them. I think. I think I did. I get rid of them recently. I might have saved some prints, and I will uh, take a photo and save it. Yeah, save Sorry. these photos.
2: Tajudeen, yeah. thank you so much for your
1: time. Well, I hope I haven't told you a lot more than I should have, and I haven't taken. A lot more of your time. My God, I've taken a lot of My God is an hour and a half and you said forty-five <laughs> minutes. But would nice to talk to you, Karim. Yes, and, I've I've, uh, I've
2: learned a lot about you. Thank thank you so much for for sharing. You're
0: welcome. All the best. Yari Madhut.